and welcome to Freelance Corner. I'm Faye and this is Jess. Hiya. Now, regular listeners may notice the name change. This podcast used to be Freelance Party Broadcast, but we decided to rebrand ourselves as Freelance Corner. Before we get started, just a reminder that we are recording from our homes, so the sound may not be as good as you're used to, but we're doing everything we can to keep bringing you this podcast. Today's question that we want to answer is, how can freelancers avoid cybercrime? And to answer that, we have Patrick, who works for the West Midlands Regional Cybercrime Unit. Thanks for joining us, Patrick. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm happy to be here. Happy to have you. <laughs> now, Patrick, could you give us a bit of an introduction about your work and what you do? I've been in the police coming up to 19 years. I've been on this department since the 1st of February 2018, and that is part of the Regional Organised Crime Unit. We approach cybercrime from the 4Ps approach, and we look at how we can prevent protect, prepare, and pursue that issue. So it's based on a model initially created by the counter-terrorist departments following 9-11 and 7-7 in the UK. So we have officers who are involved in prevention. So you get young people, and sadly, it does predominantly seem to be young people who are unfortunately doing stuff that they probably shouldn't be with regard to the Computer Misuse Act. Um, so it's about trying to divert them positively, not trying to criminalize them. It's just about diverting them positively. But then you've got the protect side, which is about trying to upskill people, make them aware and how they can avoid becoming targets or victims of cybercrime. And then you've got prepare. So we think, sadly, we know certain things will happen to so our best to mitigate the fallout. And then we have the prevent the pursue element, which is the investigation and prosecution. So if you don't know anything about cybercrime, what is cybercrime? Is it all about stealing passwords? How might we recognise cybercrime day to day? A term that's quite popular in our line of work, which in all honesty, I don't, I don't highlight or emphasise too much. And it talks about cyber-enabled and cyber-dependent crime. Unfortunately, fraud now, you're seeing around 70 to 80% of fraud now being carried out using computers and phishing emails and what have you. It's basically carrying out fraud online which would probably quite neatly fit into the cyber-enabled crime side of things, whereas cyber-dependent is basically having a computer, using a computer network and attacking someone else's computer and computer network. And it's certainly not about just stealing people's passwords, although that actually has been and is and always will be a big part of this, unfortunately. It allows gateways into the massive number of different enabled and or dependent cybercrimes. So when these hackers get our information, what do they do with it? Is it all financially motivated or? Yeah. So sometimes when I do long presentations, I'll go through what we term as a five WH of, of cybercrime. And it's like what, why, where, when, who and how. When we talk about cybercrime and the motivations, I think if we were to send out why do people think some people commit cybercrime? And a lot of it is, as you can probably guess, financially motivated. But it's also about stealing data, sometimes to steal the data, which is largely identification details. So then to steal money and ultimate financial motivation. But unfortunately, stealing people's data, which is often their identity, is often used as well so that people can commit other crimes under a false details and or potentially escape and evade capture under a false identity. So like you get unfortunate, horrendous incidents in America whereby people are dragged off at gunpoint off planes because they're on a no-fly list, but the poor sod 
has not only had their data stolen, their identity stolen, but now they've been dragged off a plane at gunpoint. Um, so it's so far wide ranging. And it can be also, sadly, businesses competing with other businesses. And unfortunately, I would say within the audience type that we're referring to here, independence, it's not beyond the realms of possibility because it's not about some big name going off and sort of, sort of targeting a competitor which sadly does happen, I suppose you could argue that it's maybe even more likely for an independent, whereby the service is accessible on the dark web, where you can think, right, I'm doing this business, he's doing that business, I want to be the one that people come to, so I will pay a small fee to somebody on the dark web who will then attack my competitors' systems and crash their network, their website, and then when people look for that service, they'll come to me. And you've got, obviously, nation states, you've got critical infrastructure. So it's all potentially out there that has to be protected because it's all potentially vulnerable. So as you can imagine, for those that are listening, the majority are self-employed. I guess their whole life is on their laptop or their computer or whatever hard drive that they may have. So what kind of tips could you give them to keep themselves safe? There's a number of things. The things that people need is extremely good antivirus and password protection, password managers. They need things like virtual private networks, but they need really good, and this is more of a human element, digital hygiene. So they need to things like, if you Google the top 10 passwords, I think you'll be surprised because this year, the World Wide Web is 31 years old and people are still using password one, two, three, and one, two, three, four, five, six, and 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 4, or like they're using these really, really poor passwords. Password 1, hello 1. They're still using them 31 years into the World Wide Web. So digital hygiene. So what I mean by that is having really good, strong passwords. And the advice from the National Cybersecurity Center is three random words. So it's not like if you've got three children, the first names. Definitely not. But again, it's a common tactic. It is not using this tactic whereby they have, say, same password for all their accounts. That is a massive no-no. And what some people do, which is a bit of a spin on that, is they have the same password for each account, but then for each account, they have the first and last letter from their website as the unique. So Facebook could be the same password as Twitter, but instead of having a different password, they have the same password and they put F and B at the end. So these are common, unfortunate shortcuts that people make with passwords. But as they don't have a massive IT structure as an independent, you need to be aware of certain things like, so if you're working from home or or like you've got your, your office is your spare room, then you need to be aware of things like your router. The vast majority of people who get issued a router by Virgin Sky, Talk Talk, no particular brand names that I'm referring to of, of good or bad here, I just mean that they issue the routers with a default password and the default password is sadly available for somebody who knows where to look for it. And the common thing is people don't change the default password. And then unfortunately, they connect all their internet things and all their devices, their work laptops to it. And they've connected to somewhere, which is the gateway into all their online activity with the password that's available for someone to find. So... Changing default passwords on routers is a key thing. And on individual devices, you have firewalls, um, good passwords, and antivirus. Wow. I'm sorry if we're too quiet, but Faye and I are literally speechless. I didn't even know you could change the password on your router. I don't know if that's just me. I, I didn't know you could change it. No, neither did I. 
my advice would be to change the password and the name. And a common thing that people make when they change the name as well is to say, hackers, try if you dare. That's a massive invite and they will, I can assure you. But yeah, you can change the name and the default password, which is extremely good idea to do. Well, I'm going to change my passwords. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I think we're all just as bad for stuff like that. I'd had one question about the self-employed. Well, re- really, you know, at the moment we're seeing a lot of self-employed people apply for grants or especially kind of during the height of the pandemic, a lot of people applied for grants. And I don't know if you saw this, Patrick, but um, some people said that they applied for grants then found out that their company was in masses of debt because someone else had applied for a grant in their name and used their details because they'd been hacked. You know, the, the hackers use their details um, to apply for these grants. So that's kind of another thing that the self-employed has to be thinking about at the moment as they're trying to apply for all this money. And because we're in such a kind of haze of, you know, manic stuff at the moment that maybe these things are slipping through. Is that something that you've been aware of? One of the things that I highlight hugely to people is, again, the digital hygiene and for them to be cautious of what they do through social media. And some people reply to me saying, oh, I'm not going to I don't go on social media. I've got no accounts. Well, actually, that's not a good idea, because unfortunately, if you don't create a social media account for yourself, somebody else will and will potentially do certain activity. So that's what these unfortunate businesses are getting, that people are basically um, spoofing all their details and then applying for loans. One of the good ways around that would be to employ some sort of credit monitoring service so that they would have got an alert if the first time that happened, sadly, and not six months later when they've sadly some person has gone to town on them and has not just applied for one thing, they've applied for as many as they can. So worst case scenario, they would have still had that person apply on their behalf fraudulently, but they would have known about it straight away. Well, it's scary, isn't it? And I guess another thing that maybe impacts freelancers more than employees is that they often work from co-working spaces or in cafes where they're going to public Wi-Fi's. What is the like official advice on that? Should we be connecting to, I don't know, insert chain coffee shop name here's public Wi-Fi, or should we avoid working in cafes and stuff? It's it's actually quite an easy question for me to answer. I wouldn't say there's any issue with using public Wi-Fi, but there's a massive but there. I would say without any exception, and it's no disrespect to any business, but I would say without any exception that you simply just do not use a public Wi-Fi without a virtual private network. Even with a virtual private network, I would say to be very cautious as to the sensitivity of the activity you conduct in. A question that once came to us and says, what's safer, using public Wi-Fi or our, um, our data allowance on, say, a mobile device, or on this occasion, if you were sitting using in a coffee shop with a laptop, tethering it to your mobile phone and using that data if you've got enough data that's actually safer it's much safer to use your mobile phone as either your mobile phone data allowance and to tether your laptop if you're working to your mobile phone using the um, the network data allowance is actually safer than public wi-fi but feel free to use public wi-fi but i would be conscious of the sensitivity of the activity and without any exception virtual private networks because people can close down the coffee shop Wi-Fi and create a fake Wi-Fi hotspot and could be sitting behind you in the coffee shop looking at everything that you're doing on your laptop. That's so scary. Before we answer the questions that have been sent in from freelancers, 
Faye and I decided that each week we want to celebrate a success story of one of you at home by our freelancers of Twitter to send in their biggest success story from this week. So our featured freelancer is Laura Summerhays, a copywriter who this week took some important time out to reflect on a busy year and started to rethink her business. She started planning for early 2021, including writing an ebook and revamping her brand manifesto. That sounds like exciting times, Laura. Well done. It's so important to take time to reflect on your successes. So well done, Laura. If you want to be our featured freelancer in the next episode of Freelance Corner, please send us your success, no matter how big or small, to content at freelancecorner.co.uk and we will let you know if we feature you. Now we have some questions sent in from freelancers for us to ask you, Patrick. Firstly, Mel asks, what is the safest way to store my passwords? And Patrick, I kind of wanted to ask this as well, because I was listening to a BBC radio programme where they had some ethical hackers on, and they said it was actually safer to write your passwords in a notebook and keep that somewhere in your house than it was to store them on your computer, because your computer can be hacked, whereas it's unlikely that someone's going to break into your house and steal that notebook. I just wondered your thoughts on, you know, Mel's question, what is the safest way to store our passwords? Um, the, uh, the simple answer to that is password managers. Unfortunately, a common question we get straight after that is, would we recommend one? We're not actually allowed to recommend a, a particular type, but we can recommend how you can find the right one for you. A couple of things I'll say here. One, um, if you say Google best password manager, you will get a number of websites that have done research and they've given you like the top 10. And what you might find is if you look at a few of these, you'll find that say the top five are very similar, but maybe two is four and three is one. And so then when you look at what they are actually known for and they're actually particularly good at, that might actually spark a point of interest for you. So you might find that actually what one person might find that their best password manager is different from the next person. I think the policy of routinely like 30 days changing passwords will become a thing of the past because that unfortunately has studies have shown that that leads to unfortunately weak passwords where people just add a number or they just change something very minor and sadly it doesn't change. Password managers do something which sounds a bit strange in terms of security when I first describe it, password managers is a additional piece of software. And what you can have, you can have two types. You can have the one that's sort of inbuilt and part of your browser, like as an add-on, or you can have something which is like a mini USB and it won't allow you access to your websites with the passwords until you've plugged that in and the computer recognizes it. The two things with password managers, I'd say is, which sounds a bit um, questionable, when you think, so what, what do you do with a password manager? You take all your websites and you put them all into one place and you put all your passwords there and then you cover it with a master password and you think that's, uh, that's a little bit concerning because you come up with a really good master password and that's good, but if the master password gets stolen or gets revealed, then they'll have access to everything. But the thing which will make that dramatically more secure will be if you then in- enable multi-factor authentication. So that could be, they'll ask for your master password and your username. You will either use Google Authenticator to give you every 30 seconds a code or to approve you are the person gaining that access. And you would do that on your mobile phone or it'd send you a token, like six digits. But that literally, that system of multi-factor authentication is what makes it dramatically more secure. Because unfortunately, we have two issues here. We have safe and we have safer. 
we just need to be as safe as we can be. But sadly, this thing, this unfortunate desire of 100% security doesn't exist, sadly. The best you'll ever get is 99%. There's no such thing with most things in our lives as 100%, sadly. But that is the most secure. And with that, you can get changed passwords. Changing passwords is good, but the problem is that it starts to lead to people, if they change it themselves, to be very weak passwords. But if the system does it, they'll create routinely changed, very strong passwords if you want to, but you don't have to. All you can do is generate a very strong password but you enable the modified authentication. So is that a, a no to writing them in notebooks as well? Is I think the advice was is find a notebook on a random page and write down your passwords. What do you think about that? Is that ridiculous or? Well, to be honest, it does immediately strike me that I understand where they're coming from because unfortunately, if you go outside or you go to a rough neighborhood and you sadly, horribly get attacked, you will have got attacked by somebody probably in that neighborhood or nearby. And where these ethical hackers are coming from, which I totally get, is that unfortunately, if you write it down and put it at your home address, if it stayed there, then you've got the risk of somebody potentially reasonably close by breaking into your house or not. But if you keep the like a, a Word document with all your passwords on, on your computer, that can be accessed by anybody who's got an internet connection in the world. So it's definitely safer Writing passwords down is definitely not something we would suggest uh, is a good thing to do. But as I said, let's be real as an individual and as a professional. If you wrote it down on a piece of paper and it was stored, hidden in your home address, then clearly it's much safer than have a Word document on your computer. But the thing I would like to highlight as well is that with the password managers, and if you enable multi-factor authentication, there's two things, there's two types of security you can have on a device. You can have password protection and you can have encryption If something's encrypted, it is probably the most secure you can get. However, if the password is one, two, three, four, five, then it's not really very secure. But if it's a good password on an encrypted device, that's possibly the most secure you can get. And what I mean by that, why I sort of delved into that was that you put password only on your laptop and you put a password only on your phone. Your phone has now become more secure than your password because to get past the password on a laptop, is easier than it is on your phone. So if you have multi-factor authentication and it's accessible through your phone with a password on that, that's quite close to the most secure you can get. And so you don't have to write it down. Because if your phone gets stolen, people will try common like one, two, three, four, or star, and they'll try these different things. But if they can't get through after a certain small number of tries, they will just have the phone wiped and they'll just sell it. So it can still be used as a phone, but they won't get your data and they won't get access to your multi-factor access. Another question that we have is from Tom, who asks, is there a laptop or computer that you would particularly recommend? The short answer is no. And the reason why we say that is one, because we couldn't recommend. But two, I would say that in fairness, there's like with, I feel with cars these days, even the, the names that didn't even have the best reputation are really good these days. So I think a lot of the laptops are probably put together quite well these days. But there's certain things like you want core like processing and RAM levels of uh, activity, such as like whether you, if you have two gig, it's better to have four or eight. So there are a couple of real technical things that you need to look for. But in terms of a brand name, we definitely wouldn't be able to recommend one. But what I would say is, even if you don't get the best laptop in the world, 
the thing that you definitely do need, which needs without any question whatsoever, is that you need to have good digital hygiene and activity, such as good antivirus, good VPNs, password manager. And when you get those annoying bottom right alerts saying the updates are available, that you jump on that straight away and update so that it makes your laptop safer and the operating system. And finally, given that freelancers will probably want to hear more about this, is there anywhere that they can hear about this information? So the most common one probably would be which, and they will give you guides as to when you're looking for a good laptop, say for gaming or for business, they will say, well, this is the best we find in this area or best we find in that area. But also just a straightforward Google search. What is the best laptop for business? And then you'll get people. And it's like a lot of the work's been done for you, say, which being the most common one, but also like say tech world and PC world, they'll have done some of this for you. And again, with the virtual private networks and the password managers, they will probably put the top five and they'll say it's good for this and it's good for that. And it'll even say the top five things you need to look out for. So you need like RAM activity, you need processing power and you, you need certain sort of like three or four key things. And a lot of that's done for you with some of these websites. That's all so interesting. Unfortunately, we've run out of time for today, but I'll include some more information in the show notes below and on the Freelance Corner website. Thank you for listening. Join Freelance Corner, the online platform for the UK's freelancers at freelancecorner.co.uk for regular guides, tools and content on growing your freelance business safely. Remember that if you have a question about freelancing that you want us to put to an expert, then drop us an email at content at freelancecorner.co.uk. Please subscribe to our podcast, like, share and leave us a review and let us know what we should put an expert on next time. We hope our listeners stay safe at home. Thanks so much for joining us, Patrick. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you for the invite.